Welcome to the Tillman Splain Podcast. I'm Neil Tillman. I'm not wearing any pants. This week I'm talking with Chad and Cousin Alex. Cousin Alex is from Indiana. We're going to be hitting up on a little bit of debate talk and some of that Rona talk. All right. Pandemic Man coming up later. Enjoy. It's understanding that makes it possible for people like us to tolerate a person like yourself. What are you doing down there? I'm just looking for my mask. I got it. What do you want to ask? Are you going to acid or something like that? Oh, no, it's just that terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. This is exactly what the nerds want. All you teachers out there, not that many of you are going to die, so don't worry about it. So don't worry about it. Come on. But I don't care who's in the audience, I'm the least racist person in this room. Chad Tillman, welcome on in. How are you doing? Great, Neil. How are you doing? Doing great. Slept well last night. I thought it was better moderated. I don't like this. I don't like the style that they use for the debates. I mean, they're always talking about, oh, well, they're trying to make it into like a game where it's like the two minutes kind of thing. But what's the purpose of the debates? Is it just for us to be entertained watching them answer questions on the spot? Or is it you actually want to know what the information is kind of thing? So, I mean, we got a little bit in there. Uh, the debate moderator, Kristen Welker, she was actually a lot more professional than um, previous moderator. She was able to actually, you know, both Biden and Trump were a lot more controlled. They didn't really, you know, it, they, they didn't have this. It wasn't as if Biden Biden was feeling, or it wasn't as if Trump was feeling as if Biden and the moderator were both teaming up on him. So the, uh, I guess he was a little bit more relaxed and he was able to explain some of the things, plus he actually injected some things and Biden made his own points as well. So at least it kind of gave off um, some impression of what's kind of what's what their what their positions are they kind of they differentiate in a couple of bits we we're just going off the very beginning what was they're asking about the uh how the response they would have for the next stage of the coronavirus you know trump mentioned off you know 2.2 million people modeled out we're expected to die but what? let's get, let's get into that uh, it's called operation warp speed yeah that yeah, made me yeah. that made me raise my eyebrows when he kept bringing up well we got generals and uh the military is gonna do a great job we're gonna send it on out operation warp speed Speed, go! I feel like the, what the military is just going to come on through the streets and pass out vaccines. Obviously, you'll you'll get them from a doctor's office, not from military generals. Can you go into what uh, that kind of means to people who are not in the military? Operation yeah, Warp Speed. Yeah, if, if there's going to be a military operation for this, that they're going to try to incorporate them, that's going to be a problem because it's against the law. Uh, he had mentioned before that it's the governors. The governors are the ones that actually set all coronavirus policy. They're the ones that have set it for their own personal states and that's the way it should be that's the way that's the way it actually is supposed to be designed anytime you use in the military for any kind of operation uh you have to have you know, congress has to pass a posse comitatus act to actually allow the military to operate and then it actually have to be invited in by the governors themselves so just having the military saying like the military is standing by they're going to show up with hospital ships and they're going to you know they're going to come in and just like give everybody a vaccine that's not going to happen unless the actual governor state that they want this to happen so if newsom decides he doesn't want you know any you know he doesn't want 
if Trump wins, Newsom's, you know, running offense and he says, oh, well, no, we're not allowing any the military to come in and operate within California borders. Trump can't do that unless he's going to violate the Constitution. So that's that's what's really going to come down to, you know, the idea about having vaccines, producing vaccines and then actually just distributing them out to the states. He can do that. But it'd be the states have to, the state governors have to actually request assistance from the federal government for that to happen. Yes. Did you put stock into Johnson and Johnson or Pfizer or any of the other? Oh, uh, well, those are the two I thought of because I actually have a little bit of stock in Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, the three companies I mentioned were Johnson, Johnson, Moderna is another one, and Pfizer. So those three companies Moderna. specifically stated Moderna. Yeah, Moderna. So you stated those that they were the ones who were, that were building. Plus, he then said, "Oh, they're also building stuff in Europe too." So Trump was a little bit all over the place when he Crispin Welker, she, when he brought up, "Yeah, we have a plan. It's going to be, you know, we're going to, you know, we have vaccines. We're about ready to roll out." Biden pushed back and says, "No, you." You don't have a vaccine going to come out in a couple of weeks. Instead, you have it probably may be happening like mid next 2021. And then he's like, no, we have three companies working, doing this whole thing. The contrast in this is Biden's position regarding the vaccines or regarding Trump's response is that he was stating, no, you've got to immediately get in there and you've got to spread panic. You've got to spread fear. you got to actually tell people. Hey, no, actually, what it is, is everybody's going to get coronavirus. It's just it's not a matter of when it's, you know of if you're going to get it, it's, it's a matter of when everybody's going to get it. We're going to have lots of people die, you know, whatever. If that if that was the position, if he's like, you know, you got to be really fast and to get really telling everybody and it's, you know, spreading fear. That isn't what the Obama and Biden administration did with when it came to H1N1. They just basically don't talk about it. They, they didn't bring it up very often. The uh, media didn't bring it up very often. And so there was less panic involved. So Biden's position that he was actually stating is, no, you got to be really upfront. And you just got to basically tell everybody that they're going to die. In his words, it was like, there's 220,000 Americans dead. You're nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control. In fact, not saying I take no responsibility initially. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. The, the correct response then could have been from Kristen Welker is like, okay, uh, Vice President Biden, how many American deaths is acceptable for, you know, for a president to be responsible for and not have problems? Is there, is there a number, you know, you're drawing the line of 220,000 and maybe, is it maybe 200,000 was okay, was acceptable to you? Or is it 175? Maybe it had been, you know, 50,000 or five, you know, what, what was your acceptable number? There's no acceptable number. Like one death is, is a tra- is really like, oh, one death is a tragedy kind of thing. 220,000. Yeah, it's tragedy. You know, how is this in relation to the rest of the world? You know, is it, you know, are there more, you know, we have 320 million people, 220,000 dr- uh, death unless, you know, when they're looking at numbers, they're like, oh, it's not, you know, percentage-wise, not big. But when it turns to, like, people that actually have family members that died, yeah, it's like it, just one death is enough. So, I mean, the, that, that entire argument was kind of ridiculous. I got this part right now queued up, and it is in relation to closing of the schools and closing the economy. Trump goes off and saying how Biden just wants to close, close, close. Biden's response is... uh a little bit hilarious. I felt like you would get Patrick Swayze, what a crock of shit. Let me play it for you, and then it gets wild at the very end. We're going to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We ought to be able to safely open, but when they need resources to open, you need to be able to, for example, if you're going to open a business, have social distancing within the business. You need to have, <laughs> if you have a restaurant, you need to have... If you're going to open. Providers ...so people cannot... Mm-hmm. Check one another. Restaurants with dividers all over. Yes. 
testing rapidly and know whether a person is in fact infected. You need to be able to trace. You need to be able to provide the, all the resources that are needed to do this. And that is not inconsistent with saying that what we're going to make sure that we open safely. And by the way, all you teachers out there, not that many of you are going to die, so don't worry about it. So don't worry about it. Come on. If you're going to die, as long as it isn't 220,000 people, we're fine. You know, not many of you, maybe 20,000 of you are going to die. But you know what? Suck it up because, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Walk and chew gum. Some of you are going to die. Some of you, I'm just going to say, aren't going to make it. And you know who you are. You probably should have retired anyways, you old bats. Yeah, some of you guys, once you get to a certain age, you uh, should stop being around kids because uh, they're carrier monkeys and you're probably going to die. But, you know, whatever, everything is fantastic. You got to walk and chew gum at the same time. We got to open up. But the big point is, is that the federal government's got to be giving out more and more money to the states. You know what my solution would be? If you're really concerned about, you know, the people, why don't you just, you're doing a $1.8 trillion, you know, stimulus plan. Why don't you take that money and pay everybody's student loans off and pay off everybody's credit card bills? And then people then have their credits are now perfect. And then if it comes down to it, you know, they can use the credit cards as buffers to actually pay for things that they need to pay for. And then that would continue the economy. So, but as it is like with $1.8 trillion, you can do both of those no credit card bills and no, no credit card debt no student loan debt we suck it up we you know maybe in a year and a half this thing's gonna blow over but as it is up right now you know everything's gonna be fine initially the democrats are saying that they're gonna do credit card debt you know student loan bills they're gonna pay off people's student loans i was like fantastic and they're like yes we're gonna pay off people's undergrad student loans not their grad school student loans and i was like crap all right you don't you lost my vote i don't care anymore you know but that was but that's their idea is like well how, how about this just pay off everybody's student loans pay off everybody's credit card debt. That's 1.8 trillion, you know, 1.8 trillion will cover that. But, you know, as it is like, oh, no, 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 no. We need people to have debt so that they can keep paying interest rates on that debt because it's all about paying interest rates and stuff. The other thing I was wondering is how the rest of the country actually works, because I know in Southern California, we are constantly updated on our status. And, you know, we have youth sports that can't go back. A lot of youth sports are moving to Arizona at this time. Schools are predominantly online. Sloan in first grade just started going back to school this week. And she goes for two and a half hours every day and then does more like Chromebook online stuff. Uh, Wesley's going to go back after the election. There's the election on Tuesday, which the school has opened up for that. And then he'll go back on Thursday. So he'll be going two days a week and then doing like online stuff uh, the other days of the week. But what I'm wondering is how the rest of the nation looks because Stuff that Biden had said sounds wild. And even for California, like restaurants need to put plexiglass up all around. Like we all got to live like we're bubble, like we're all in a bubble. Like, you know, like everybody has to have their own pod. You guys have a pod. You guys have a pod. You go into the restaurant. You got to be all in your own safe zone. You know, it sounds good. I like the idea, like, I like the idea of a theater where everyone gets their own personal theater experience. It sounds good, but it sounds incredibly expensive. And we're talking about, like, restaurants, uh, like Denny's, where they're trying to sell breakfast for under $10, and you're going to expect them to just put plexiglass up all over the place? It is very interesting how much money that he thinks could just be floated around to everywhere for safety? Yeah, I mean... Biden said Biden's little soundbite was, I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. But then he says that, you know, well, we're going to have it where, every, you know, all this additional personal protective equipment's going to be set up 
And then, you know, that was something that Trump actually talked about, you know, mentioned back at stage is like, how, who's going to pay for that? Well, the government is, you're basically going to give money to everybody to pay, to buy, to buy all this additional stuff. Or are you going to say, we're going to subsidize it. But as it comes down, it's like, we're not letting you open up unless you actually have all this plexiglass and all this other stuff. The ones that are going to benefit out of that are the companies that have to make all the plexiglass that have to actually install it, make all these installations. And then when it comes down to it is like, you know, if you're going to finally spend all this money and if, you know, depending upon how long the, um, this is going to go on, the pandemic's going to go on for, then it's going to be a whole lot, you know, a lot of money is going to be transferred off to these companies that install it and they're going to benefit. But like the company, the small businesses that are already in place, how are they going to be able to absorb that cost? And if, it, if you can't do business, unless you actually have all these, all this personal protective equipment set up in your place, the business, then what? Is it going to, you know, how is that going to actually make things better for the small business? On top of that, the, the you know, his statement about, well, we're going to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. There goes small business. We got to pay for all this additional personal protective equipment. And then on top of that, you got to pay $15 an hour, you know, raise up your minimum wage. And then, of course, the other, the other statement was like, well, if you're going to increase the minimum wage, it's a lot different if you're $15 an hour is a lot different in uh, New York City than it is in, say, Woodland Park, Colorado. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Woodland Park, jackpot, I'm rich. Uh, you know, I'm bigger and it's finally above the law. But when it comes to like New York and stuff, it's it's like, yeah, that's you, it's not going to cut it, buddy. You got to, you know, maybe if you raise up to 25, why don't we do this? Why don't we raise it up to $50 an hour for everybody? <laughs> and therefore, everything's going to be fantastic. No, it's not. If you raise up the, if people's uh, spending ability is just being increased, the prices will reciprocate. That's the problem with raising the minimum wage and saying that that's going to be a cure-all for ending poverty. Because when it comes to Popman, it happens on this. It's like, yeah, you increase wages. If the vast majority of the population is, their wages have been increased, the pro the cost to actually for production increases as well. As in, okay, well now I'm going to go to Denny's with all that plexiglass set up. And there, you know, and all of a sudden it's going to be, you know, to get a sampler, it's going to cost me 50 bucks. And he's like, that just, you're going to take like an hour of my life out away just for, you know, if, it, if we raise up to 50 bucks, just to have the sampler. How is, you know, people like, you know what? I'm going to go off and buy the eggs myself and make my own breakfast at home. I don't think I'm going well, to go to Denny's for this. How are businesses supposed to reopen, especially too, if, if you have to pay workers a higher wage, how are businesses even able to reopen? Because a lot of businesses are closed and a lot of their hours are reduced. And a lot of the money that they were making, say at this time last year, they're not making the same amount of money that they were making this time last year. And they have uh -huh. to bring in a smaller staff, unless you happen to be one of the COVID winners, which happens to be Costco or Target or anyone that actually is able to actually send send their goods off to direct to the consumer. Yes, anyone yeah. who has a lot of goods and people have just been able to get there, or Amazon, of course, crushing it. Yeah, we should just make Jeff Bezos pay. Shouldn't make Jeff Bezos pay anything. He's you know, he's actually providing a service that's benefiting the benefiting the population because if it wasn't for Amazon, if it wasn't for you know, if there wasn't for this entire need for people not going to the stores but having the food brought directly to them, then that would be a problem. What Bezos is probably gonna say is like, you know what? We told you guys this a long time ago. That's why we need to have drones that deliver Amazon goods directly to your house or apartment or whatever. And if it drones. wasn't for the FAA you would not have to worry about somebody that's delivering your food 
you know, coughing or, you know, you don't have to spray down your stuff every time you get any kind of package from Amazon. If it was direct, if it was sent to you by drone, that is scary. Yeah. Which is like, oh yeah. So then the people that are actually getting paid to go and deliver food and stuff like that, they would not have a job anymore if we actually had like drones delivering everything, but whatever. If anyone's going to switch to all robots in the factory, all robots delivery, it's going to be Jeff Bezos. Yeah, probably. It's like, hey, you know what? The biggest, the biggest uh, security breach we have for uh, the company is human relations. So uh, I think we should get rid of all the human. <laughs> yeah. Trump, Trump's I guess- pit, his little piece that he spewed out, which is probably going to be repeated over and over again, is the cure cannot be worse than the problem itself. And that's right. what's happened. I mean, we already stated Biden's bit was going to be, I'm not, I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. Well, let's jump into, this is my favorite Kristen Welker part of it, because she mm-hmm. asked this question about breaking news. Iran has threatened the Florida voters. Our next section, which is national security. And I do want to start with the security of our elections and some breaking news from overnight. Breaking news. Just last night, top intelligence officials confirmed again that both Russia and Iran are working to influence this election. Ooh. Both countries have obtained U.S. voter registration, registration. these officials say, and Iran sent intimidating messages to Florida voters. Florida. This question goes to you, Mr. Vice President. What would you do to put an end to this? Florida voters got intimidating messages from Iran? That is scary. Wow. I also wonder the uh, tough investigators or Florida voters got intimidated by Iran. And then they both go into it. And Biden, of course, says, yeah, well, it's because they don't want me to win because I'm tough on Iran and I'm tough on Russia. And then Trump is like, well, you know, Russia doesn't want me to win. So all my advisors all say it's because they don't want you in there, Mr. President. And so... There's not really the answer, but it, it was a it's great political theater. And it's just yeah. both of them have to drive their thing home. And how do you stop all this? They're messing with our elections because yeah. we're the only ones that can mess with other countries' elections. Yeah. The, the, the key points I got to from that was Biden's initial statement was like, they will pay a price if I am elected. You're like, really? What price? Is it they're not going to get their billions of dollars in, you know, in treaty money or something like that i don't know you know like to the best of my knowledge i don't think the president has said anything to putin about it and then trump will be like well i told pooty poots that hey you get your damn hands off of my elections and then pooty poots says oh okay mr president i understand I, I'm, I'm sorry you know we we know how it went with uh, george mcfly and biff and uh, back to the future hey you get your damn hands off Um, No, you brought up uh, Biden's bit from this was that Trump's uh, national security advisor told him that uh, Rudy Giuliani is being used as a Russian pawn. And uh, it's like, all right, you know, he's like, I don't understand why the president is unwilling to take on Putin when he's actually paying bounties to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan. Strong take. Strong take. He stabilized all of NATO. Yes. He's like, because he brought, so he brings, so Biden now brings up the whole, uh, you know, Russian bounties for killing Americans in Afghanistan. You know, the, the weird thing about this is that when you're talking about Russian bounties, or whatever, you're inferring that, that Russia has command and control of the Taliban, that they're able to say, hey, I want you to do this. And then the Taliban's like, oh, all right, yes, sir. And then they immediately go and follow Russia's directions and do whatever. 
that's what's always being inferred. One of the things that are odd about this whole bit regarding Russia and regarding anything regarding, you know, in this is that Russia, you know, Russia doesn't actually control the Taliban. If they're going to look at anybody, it's going to be Pakistan. Pakistan is the one that created the Taliban. They're the ones that actually are the ones that are, you know, kind of directing or whatever. They, they make this entire fantasy about a counter-terrorist, you know, system, but it's just a way to actually kind of call anyone that's not listening to Pakistan's orders from following their directions. But it's the, that's the bit. Then it was like, Donald Trump immediately jumped in and was like, hey, Joe, uh, Joe got $3.5 million from Russia and it came through Pootie Poots because he was very friendly with the former mayor of Moscow and it was the mayor of Moscow's wife. Yeah. And he was like, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave him $3.5 I mean, that was the stuff that's been coming out lately, talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. He didn't even bring up right. Hunter Biden, which is probably the best. Because really, when it comes down to it, it's got to be, it's got, it, you know, everything's got to relate to Joe Biden. And it's not necessarily about his, his son, uh, the, the Frito, of the uh, Corleone family, Fredo. Uh, Hunter Biden, it, you know, it's like, then of course that was when they're going back and forth and Biden and Trump was saying, Oh no, you know, Trump, I know NATO's great. NATO's, I don't disrupt NATO. I just get them to pay more now for their national security for to contribute to NATO. Uh, you know, Ukraine loves me. Uh, Joe, <laughs> you, gave him, you, sold him pillows and, you sold Ukraine pillows and sheets, but I sold them tank busters. To, to you, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, but those were really good pillows and sheets. You know, they were Egyptian cotton. You know, and people in Ukraine they need to, you know, to be on really, you know, really good bedwear." And he was like, "Hey, okay." So when he went, when he, his little statement about that I was like, "Yeah, it's true." Biden and Obama they didn't really give anything to, to Ukraine at all. They let they didn't really do anything when uh, Crimea was taken back from by Russia. Yeah, you know, for someone claiming to be tough on Russia, they just kind of walked right in and said. Uh, this is our territory now. We're going to do this and you guys are going to just, you know, maybe sit there and powder something. But the other point that comes off is, you know, people keep forgetting um, Obama's hot mic situation with Medvedev, who was president at the time that actually kind of worked directly for Putin, where he was like, you know, after the election, uh, I'll have a lot more leverage to be able to actually fulfill things. What do you let, let him know? He's like, I will, I will translate that. I'll transmit that to Vladimir. And he's like, oh, yeah. You do that. He's like, transmit that to Vladimir. That doesn't sound, you know, nefarious at all. But you know what? It's fine. I'm pretty sure he was telling him, I will have a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more leeway. And, uh, you know, once we get through this election, uh, you know, my second term, I'm going to be really tough on you. So you guys back off because don't strut and don't mess around with our elections or anything like that. No, I don't know. Take it any way you want. But that was that's pretty damning evidence. Well, what do you think was the what do you think was the end game of the hot mic? Like, what was he going to do for? Russia like and what do you think happened in Obama's second term from 2012 to 2016 was that when Russia went into Ukraine was between 2012 and 2016 Russia right yeah Russia went into Ukraine uh prior to that what really came down to it though is, it was uh, right it was it was before it was before the the you know, the initial um the 20 the before the midterm election for Obama you they were actually already in there they were working with you know they're they're already moving off what Russia did with Ukraine is there's Russian um, citizens within Ukraine and uh, because Ukraine has been part of Russia for thousands of years you know Ukraine was just referred to differently within the country itself within the Russian Federation the old uh, Tsarist Empire Crimea has always you know has always had a lot of ethnic Russians and even in Ukrainians, they speak, they say it's Ukrainian, but it's just another form of Russian anyways. So when they're working off of, with um, what's going on there, there's already a large population because the Soviet Union had actually taken ethnic Russians and just put them in every single, every single one of their countries, every single one of the socialist republics that they had in place. And so they put a lot, large portion there on the border there with Ukraine. 
they put a large por- a large portion, like the majority of the population, are Russian in Crimea. And so they do this with Kazakhstan, they do this with Uzbekistan, they do this with all over the place. So when they're talking about it, it's like, oh no, we just want, you know, we're just looking at caring for the for the, the ethnic Russians and making sure that their voices are heard, which is their way of like, we've got our people over there already. We're trying to get get them to actually work with, to be joined back up with us again. And so then they basically start, since there's already ethnic Russians in Ukraine, they then take, possibly, they take Russian soldiers, put them off in civilian attire, throw them off across the border. So they join off with the Russian, with the Russian uh, paramilitaries. And so then it's Russian military is able to jump in and actually fight alongside Russian paramilitaries, stating, no, 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 although we're all Russians, we're not associated with with uh, the Russian, Russian country, nation. So it kind of rolls back and forth like this but did did anything happen between 2012 and 2016 with russia the bit the big points that came through is uh dealing with with syria for one syria came on after us came off in the second term Russia has a warm water port within within the Mediterranean off the coast of Syria. So they were basically uh, supporting Syria, uh, Bashar Assad the entire time. The other points that came through is that Ukraine has been ongoing. And so when Trump was talking about like no, not, you know, him sending tank busters off to Ukraine, that's a lot different than the response that the, that the uh, Biden and Obama administration had, or the Obama and Biden administration had, which is, no, we're sending you pills and blankets. We're going to send you some supplies and medical gear, stuff like that. We're not sending you any weapons because we don't want to upset. Uh, we don't want to upset Russia too much or whatever like that. So if they're going to make any kind of leeways, like you guys can placate the entire situation. Don't really give them any real support. But like give them some support so that it's like you're giving them something, but don't. But and then just kind of turn a blind eye. You can cry and say, hey, no, you guys get your damn hands off of Ukraine and then just let it go. And, you know, that's the entire, you know, possibly, po- you know, which possibly may have happened. But as it is, it's like they didn't neutralize Russia and Ukraine at all. Uh, they didn't neutralize Russia and Syria at all either. And in fact, you know, when uh, when Obama uh, left office, he turned over a huge ISIS problem within Syria. He wasn't able to do anything with the, with ISIS. He had a problem off in Ukraine. He had a problem off in Korea or in North Korea. So these were all issues that were coming off, um, you know, when Trump took over. ISIS is no longer is no longer even talked about. They're not, you know, it's not a problem. But, you know, Trump is Trump ended up destroying ISIS is is what his narrative is going to be. And when he's looking at Ukraine, Ukraine is still ongoing. But as it is, it's like, right, is Russia better off now that Trump is president in Ukraine, or are they worse off in Ukraine? Probably they're worse off because Ukraine actually has a lot more. They have a lot. They have the ability to actually repel a lot more Russian attack. What would uh, Russia gain by putting the bounties on American soldiers. Hey, we're gonna give you guys bounties. Like we're gonna we're gonna pay for how many of those American soldiers every time you kill an American soldier. And number one, how can they even verify that they kill them if they? Yeah, I don't think unless they, unless they can show proof of death. Like how are they gonna show proof of death? Right. But um, the the only way that it would actually work for Ukraine or whatever like that is. You know, for one, as, as the Taliban attacked an Americans at all before, you know, during this whole bit when they talk about Russian bounties or whatever like that. Were, were they, they already attacking Americans? Yeah, they were already attacking Americans. Were they discriminating? Like, no, no, we can only attack Americans. We can only do that. No, they're going attacking everybody. It doesn't really matter. So the whole idea is that, well, giving, saying, oh, all right, we're going to give you Russian bounties. Is it because we're like, we really want you to attack America? Well, we're already doing that. So, hey, thanks, man. If it actually comes off, we'll like say, we'll say, come like, oh, we, uh, we, we killed so many Americans here. I think a lot of it comes down 
down to is that it makes the Taliban think that Russia's nicer or something. They're like, these guys are idiots, but you know what? They're giving us more money to do what we're already doing anyways. And uh, so therefore, you know, hey, thanks. You know, kind of endear you. I think it would be more to endear them with the population if it was true or not. Yeah. I think in Russia, they just got that Tom Hanks movie, the Charlie Wilson yeah. War. I think they just came out in Moscow and Putin saw it and was like, those bastards. They did this was we did not know this at all until now. I did TV for that's what they got. Years, that's and I did not realize from. this until Tom Hanks told me. No, um, <laughs> yeah, it's Charlie Wilson's war. Uh, Charlie Senator Charlie Wilson when he went over to when he went over to work off in Pakistan to associate with Pakistan to get them to support the Mujahideen, which they were already doing anyways. Pakistan's issues are they always need to have American support for anything economic and um, economic and military support because they promote to their own people that India is the biggest threat ever and they're always coming over and they're going to try to kill every single one of them despite the fact that Indians and Pakistanis are generally you know a lot of them actually have some kind of familiar relationships going back and forth but it's like oh it's because you're Muslim and they're Hindus and Hindus you can't trust Hindus at all and they got Kashmir and they, so they always push off this entire bit about at the same time they're outreach to the United States, despite the fact that they're the biggest state supporters of terrorism, is that, hey, you need us because we're in a strategic location and we're the only friends you've got in this area. So if you want to actually be able to get in Central Asia, you got to you got to get uh, Pakistani support. So but that's that's the whole thing going through. But then again, Pakistan is a lot more endearing towards China, Pakistan, uh, you know, going China. Back and forth. That was China. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the debate. And it was, how are we going to make China pay? And then Trump is saying he's already making them pay. And mm -hmm. well, there's this part where this is a great exchange. On China policy, though, on China policy. are you going to do? What specifically are you going specifically. to do to make China pay? You said you're going First to make China is paying. They're paying billions and billions of dollars. I just gave twenty-eight billion dollars. New sanctions. I just gave twenty-eight billion dollars to our farmers. Taxpayers' China, money. It's what? Taxpayers' money. <laughs> it's called, yeah, you know the taxpayers. It's called China. China <laughs> paid twenty-eight billion, and you know what they did to pay it to? They devalued their currency. Okay. Uh, well, he didn't just pay. 28 billion dollars to american farmers he did that last year and it was it was taxpayers money and then he got the money and he's getting money back with tariffs so i i i love this part and it, it continues on because when biden comes up with his response for a minute he goes on into american families you have to listen yeah and that was, trump that was the trump calls about on that one yeah mm -hmm. oh, I'll, hold on before you go to that one, because I know what you're talking, what you're talking about regarding this, the issue that comes up, and this is something that people don't under generally understand, is that we, it, in order for farmer American farmers to maintain, um, you know, the high high production rate, in order to actually produce a whole lot, they need to make sure that they are not overproducing, because that was one of the things that led to their their depression off in the 20s after World War One. So by giving money to the farmers. And that's the idea is that the price of grain or whatever may drop. And if you're going to subsidize it, you can drop the price to be able to go along with what, what China's doing. So with, China, with the issue that's come up with China is by devaluing the currency, they're making their products a lot less expensive. So then their idea is that they're going to be able to sell their products for a lot less than American farmers would be able to sell. So then more people would buy stuff from coming, you know, farm product coming from China by giving money by giving the 28 billion dollars to to uh, American farmers they're then having like a parity price of what they were getting paid before this entire trying to devalue their currency 
And so they then can sell their products at a competitive rate from China so that people so that the rest of the world will start will continue buying from American farmers. That that's the whole bit that's coming through. It doesn't really get he doesn't really explain it well enough. He's just making little like little bits like, hey, I gave twenty eight billion dollars to farmers. Doesn't matter unless you explain why that even why this even even plays into anything. Chad, I'm gonna have to hold us off right there. I'm gonna bring on cousin Alex. Cousin Alex, as you know, is our father's mother's sister's daughter's son. Cousin Alex from Indiana. Welcome to Toolman Splane. Hello. Hey. You missed the you missed the uh, family reunion this year. We had a Zoom reunion. You got to ask your mom about how that Zoom went because, dude, you have a fire going on in your place? Yeah. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're going to bring up Aunt Bianca? I got to bring up Aunt Bianca. It's classic Chad. Yeah. Apparently, the self-cleaning oven was setting off the smoke detector. So So our Zoom family reunion this year, uh, Chad was overseas fighting for our country. Uh, he comes on and does his Zoom, and I guess he made a huge splash and also got Aunt Bianca a little bit on edge. You, you should ask your mom about it. Well, uh, they were talking about like, oh, this is what we're doing. We're accomplishing this, 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 and every other people are there. And I'm like, going, crap, what the hell do I have to talk about? But, uh, Alex, Alex, how is uh, things going for you for the quarantine? You guys also shut down around March 15-ish? We did, I think. For me, I went back to work. I, I'm at a fraternity right now, and uh, right. the guys came back. So when we came back after spring break, I was kind of terrified, honestly. A lot of them went to Florida uh, for spring break and came back. So like, I was like, <laughs> the frat guys? Yeah. I'm like, someone's going to have it. Someone's going to give it to me. But they weren't allowed in the kitchen, and I wasn't allowed any contact with them. They ended up staying for the rest of the school year. So I was... I'm always off between May and August. The bad part was I had this really cool job lined up to go on tour with some bands and, and cook, you know? So, like, instead of being in the music project, I would still be on a tour bus in a different city every day cooking. That'd be sweet. The live industry is pretty much, like, dead right now. Um, right. For music. Like, I know a lot of guys. Uh, my brother-in-law, Julie, uh, her husband, he's a videographer. He's worked with everyone from, like, Taylor Swift, to Fallout Boy, and he was working with uh, Andrea Pacelli, uh, wow. like an opera singer. Uh, his as a videographer, he hasn't worked since I guess like February. I think it was his last gig. Oh, wow. Maybe right now. I mean, he's he's trying to set up like in home studios and stuff like that. But the live industry for for music, even if it's just a backyard show and a one off, it's not a tour and it's not enough to actually pay all your bills. When I go back to the fraternity in the fall. Uh, I now have to serve the food. No one's allowed to do it. We all wear masks. I wash and sanitize my hands a million times a day. And it's kind of weird to be back and have these kind of rules. It's also weird to to cook with a mask on uh, <laughs> in a hundred degree kitchen, you know? Uh, uh, the mask thing I'm taking seriously because it's like a hospitality thing, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm. because I, I feel it's working. <laughs> How do you feel about masks in general? You, I mean, you're in California, both of you in California, like California is like a, a mandatory mask state, right? Yeah. Yes, we have to wear masks. I work in the hospitality industry too, and everybody is masked up. We're at 25% capacity for 
seating indoors and most of our seating right now is outdoors and it's just masked the whole time it's kind of funny because people just walk in like the guests walk in without a mask because we're outdoors they just kind of walk over to their table and just sit down not a lot of enforcement's happening but then you also do it just because you don't want to get spited by other people you know chad lives downtown so he's probably around more people and when you're outside i feel like there's really no need for it but if you don't wear a mask, you could get the wrath of neighboring families who will say, why don't you have your... And so it's really just out of uh, not wanting to be embarrassed, I feel like. Right. I mean, I started wearing a mask to the grocery store as soon as it started happening. I felt like it was it was needed just to be like, all right, I'm taking in the precaution for other people. You know, it's not necessarily for myself. It was just for everyone else's comfort level. And that's, I think, because I work in Can you see Chad's mask? Can you see Chad's mask? He's got a mask. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke. What, I, just, I mean, it, it looks the, cool. What? What is it? What is on that? Got a bunch of snakes <laughs> in the front. And what happens is, is that the symbol is a snake curled around or coiled around a droplet of oil. The whole symbology symbolism for that there. For one, it's the the, the scales themselves are kind of like a camouflage. So it protects you from uh, from uh, virtue signaling smugness. And then the snake, the snake curled around the oil symbolizes snake oil. So it doesn't necessarily protect you. It's like the, you know, the entire bit for pushing face masks and stuff like that. I would say is more of like a snake oil salesman trying to just give people like a placebo and to be as a cure all for their for their problems when it really it may not actually solve the issue. The only problem I have with this is that I think that people that decide that they're not going to wear masks at all are causing bigger problems for themselves because it's better, you know, if they can find a way to be able to, you know, be able to show that, hey, I don't think this actually works. But if we get full compliance for face masks and the numbers start increasing regardless, then they can then state that they actually have proof that they have evidence supporting the fact that the face masks don't actually help, regardless of the fact that they have that they have full compliance to be able to demonstrate that, hey, I don't I don't actually believe in this. I'm going to comply with this, but I don't believe in this is that have a specific symbol that they have on there. Some of the guys that, you know, some people are rolling around with MAGA, MAGA symbols on their face masks. Uh, that's probably not a great idea. Because then it just identifies you as being, you know, associating with a specific uh, candidate. If it's better right. is having like a neutral one that would really give off the impression, like, I don't think this works, but we're doing the full compliance. So then that takes away the argument from Governor Newsom in California from his statement, that like, no, we've got to do this. Well, we're, we're complying. You know, we're complying with the face mask. Everybody's wearing face masks when they go outside. The numbers are still rising up. It doesn't have, you know, the face masks aren't doing anything. Then it's going to be, well social distancing all right we have social distancing what you know the numbers aren't are just not growing up you know the, the scariest thing would be is that it doesn't matter what we do everybody's going to get it and if that right. you know if it if that would be the biggest problem that would be the scariest thing that can happen i mean people cling to hope cling to belief that yeah face masks will protect me they'll protect other people blah 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 blah, blah. that that gives off you know i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily this the people that still criticize anytime anybody says you know thoughts and prayers or they you know discount any concept of prayer anyways the entire idea of appealing off to the placebo effect is kind of hypocritical the conspiracy theorists and my brain tells me operation warp speed is operation everybody gets corona and i know that's supposed to be 
Operation Warp Speed is supposed to be giving vaccines out. But what are vaccines other than little droplets of the, the Rona, Rona, of the actual everybody virus? Operation yeah. Warp Speed is everybody gets it. I feel like that's what it is. That's the conspiracy theorist in my head. It's If you compare it to the flu, everyone's going to get it. I mean, eventually you're going to get the flu, whether it's, you know, 10, 16, 5, whatever, or once a year, you're going to get the flu. Mm-hmm. Like, if Corona is going to be the same thing as or is similar to the flu, then like eventually, yeah, everyone's going to get it. We might have already had it and our antibodies just passed it through. Younger people, it seems not to affect them. I remember not feeling so well at the beginning of the year and uh, I went to the doctor and it was the first time that they gave me a face mask. And it was before Corona was actually like in the news. Like it was in the news about China, but it wasn't in the news about America yet. So... It was kind of weird like that they were already prepared for it January 5th or 6th, you know, when we didn't really start talking about it till the middle of February nationally. Is there a mandate in Indiana about wearing masks on everywhere indoors? Yes. And it's like, it's basically social distancing. Everything is all there. I mean, in Indiana, it's starting to get cold. So like we don't have outdoor seating at most restaurants anyway let alone no one really wants to go outside uh and and sit when it's like whatever 45 degrees um right but i think it's selective on some of the stores i mean like i know at the grocery store there's been like people that just stand at the door you know basically to enforce the mask policy or to like ask the question you're still allowed in if you say that you have like a doctor's i have a doctor's excuse why i don't need to wear a mask and they'll still let you in although they're still at the door to confront you about the mask there's lenient rules but i already made a rule because i'm trying to save money to not go to like bars and restaurants this year so i haven't since corona it just enforced my rule altogether where i just don't even have to go to bars or restaurants i go to a couple of friends houses and hang out a lot of the time especially over the summer and fall we just hang outside uh social distance parties i guess not really parties it's like four or five people sunday dinners with the family always on the back porch it's it's weird going out like uh and i don't know what i mean we are a red state compared to you living in a blue state and i don't know if if it's because it's more lenient uh on those policies where democrats seem to be more strongly enforcing it our mom won't see us right now well i say that but she has like this uh, kidney disease and you know our moms are older now right. our mom takes it seriously enough to where she doesn't want to get sick and you know lose her life and i can't be the brother that's going to go visit her and infect her <laughs> even <laughs> though even yeah. though i've been healthy and it's like when i was off of work uh, quarantined up we're traveling we're going around i'm i want to see different stuff and do different stuff because i'm just not working well i don't want to go and see her and scare her mm-hmm. or basically infect her I, which i don't know how you can affect somebody if you don't have something but maybe there's that sense of you do have it you're just so are people asymptomatic i don't know i don't know if, the, if you guys are the right guys to ask about this but i mean i i've never known anyone to have it have you guys known people that have had it uh, I had it. I, I think I had it earlier when I when I left uh, last year. I flew back from San Diego in uh, January and went back to Afghanistan. So I did a bunch of international flights. 
And then in two weeks after arriving in Afghanistan, I ended up getting sick really bad. I mean, I still worked 72 hours a week, but still, it was like, I looked like I was dead for a couple of weeks. The start of this year? Like January? Yeah, it started, of- yeah, it started, it started off from January to February kind of it. So it's you know, kind of before they really was bringing up regarding Rona. We were joking around about it. Like I got Rona and somehow I inoculated everybody else. I've, I mean, I've, I usually get sick really bad like once a year and they usually last for a couple of days and then it just dies. I mean, I had a fever right off the spot. That was how I kind of knew and then just slept and then you know slept through and ended up breaking after like a day or so but then after that I ended up getting like sore throats and then to where I had to eat like jello and stuff so when that happened I just went to the store grabbed honey and just started chugging honey to the point where I got sick of the taste of honey after that because honey naturally kills bacteria around the throat which prevents it from going from being from being wet to, to dry so pure honey some people like to dilute it but i just did a straight up honey bit helping me get through the whole bit but i mean it was it was a rough couple of weeks but i mean for one i didn't go to the hospital because i didn't feel like i didn't want to have to pay money out of pocket to to go see a doctor or whatever to tell me like hey you got the flu you're like yeah i feel like i already got that anyways but you know, but that was, but that's how it kind of rolled out for me. Other people are like, I'd be worried. I'm always worried about like your dad, your dad, your dad has lungs issues from the, from the glass blowing be, um, before that too. So, I mean, like I would hate for him to actually get exposed to Rona because that would probably, that would be real devastating. It would be like affecting him directly. Uh, you were, mom, like, you were confirmed with having the Rona. Cause I remember you telling us before. Yeah, initially it wasn't, but once they started doing testing, cause they start, I mean, once it, once Rona, the- Rona bit started popping up, I got the test and he said that antibodies my system. You did have the antibodies bodies in your system yeah yeah nice. so i end up getting it and i don't know how i prevent nobody else in my office got it yeah you didn't Maybe. pass it on to other people that you worked with no as as crazy as it is no one else got sick in my office it was just me and but then again i when i'm outside or whatever like that i don't really come in contact with, you know it's not like we already do somewhat social distancing to begin with when it comes through there it's as weird as it is nobody got sick and i don't understand i mean it was interesting it was weird it's like afterwards Rona started popping up other places but to play people in my office didn't get sick at all the sickness could you compare it to the flu like that's what you could you would compare it to like is it different yeah. and and i mean it didn't defeat you like other people like it didn't cause you to need a ventilator I mean, like, were you having trouble breathing? It was just a sore throat. Like, it was a fever for a couple of days, and then... I'd have a bit of coughs. I would, like, start coughing and can't stop coughing for a bit. The feeling of debilitation where it hurts to move. It hurts to do anything, any movement around. Anytime I have to stand up, I feel like, you know, I feel intense pain, kind of, you know, that, you know, complete debilitation. But then, from what we've heard from people from Rona, people get sick in different ways. Some people end up having it where, if they already have some issues with their lungs to begin with, they'll they'll have to be put off in a, in a ventilator i would through as weird as it is i was in like a high altitude area yeah i mean we're we're well above sea level and under a lot of pressure anyways but as weird you know i didn't have to get a ventilator i didn't have to get additional stuff i just in fact i you know i just had to power through it and for me i got lucky other people have you know are actually having problems just even with the flu it just felt like a really intense flu is what it felt like for me but then i you know we kind of blow off like oh yeah everybody gets the flu and it just don't really think about it until you actually come across somebody like i knew somebody who's teenage daughter got the flu and the 
within 48 hours, she died. And I was shocked about that. It's like, how exactly does anybody die from the flu if they're a teenager? You know, sometimes little kids get flu and die. And then it's real shocking. Old people, when they get the flu, yeah, usually it's, you know, if old people get the flu, it'll end up, they'll end up dying as a result of that. Like my grandmother, uh, she ended up, you know, she didn't have the flu. She had like um, walking pneumonia and then that triggered a heart attack. And that's how she ended up dying. Chicken pox. I mean, chicken pox was not a death sentence uh, when we were kids. Uh, You had chicken pox, right, Alex? I've had chicken pox, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a death sentence when we were kids, but then they also found a way to uh, vaccinate people with chicken box so i mean i guess it's cool that kids don't have to have chicken pox anymore but if they get shingles when they're an adult now that's uh that sucks right Mm -hmm. i i think i I, when my sister got it they just sat me in a room with her and everyone else you know i was like five (laughs) or something they're like yeah like well he needs to get it eventually we'll just get it out of the way now i mean and it's under the theory of like what doesn't kill you probably makes you stronger so now that you have antibodies for corona there's definitely a, like not a second wave i would say but people are starting to emerge that are getting it for the second time i mean you fought it off within two weeks yeah i feel as if that everyone's gonna get it like the flu like not that we all need to get it at the same time the whole spacing it out thing uh warp seems speed. legit what's that yeah operation warp speed neil's theory that it's going to be where everybody gets it all at once and then they ask that you know trial by fire warp speed right, right. or at least at least like a hundred million people will get the vaccine and that's operation warp speed you pass it out to enough people yeah, pass it all the virus is, is everywhere and nobody's just sitting around waiting for it to come in i mean are we going to give it to the old people first then or something like i mean like someone that like my father who has like a pre-existing condition with his lungs like if you if you were to give him even a small dose of, of corona or whatever how would that affect him would it automatically take his life or would actually the vaccine work i don't know the the, the bigger th- problem would be is that there's permanent consequences of actually getting corona like if like with polio it's like you get it and then what happens eventually you end up, you end up being, being debilitated for life if it's if people's lung capacity is reduced permanently then there's a problem if it's like you just got to suck it up for two weeks and then you just power through and you just recover back to normal again that's not a problem if you actually have permanent damage as a association with, associated with this that becomes an issue because we don't want to have the entire population end up having like 50% lung capacity. So Right. You guys going to mm-hmm. take that vaccine? <laughs> you guys have to be the first in line to take a vaccine? No. No. A lot, <laughs> 40% of the population says like, you know, is like, yeah, I want all about that, which means 60% of the population is like, yeah, I want the 40% of the population that's all excited about getting a vaccine. I want to see how them take it. And then I want to see what the consequences are. And then we can, then maybe I'll take it. That's what a lot right. of people are going to be. Then, of course, there's the anti-vaxxers that are going to say, no, no vaccine ever. Too much mercury within your vaccine or, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. When was the last time you got a flu shot? You know, I think I, I had one within the last five years, but like it was the first time I had gotten one in a while. And I'm guessing it's it's supposed to be yearly that you're still supposed to take a flu shot. Supposed to. Yeah, supposed to. But I, I don't. I mean, like at the doctor, do you want a flu shot? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I, don't, I don't think so. My wife works at kind of an old people retirement home for, you know, kind of a rich people. And every year the workers there have to get a flu shot. And then the thing is, if you don't get the flu shot, you have to wear a mask all the time. And so now this year, she's like, well, why would I get the vaccine or a flu shot if I'm still going to wear a mask anyways? Because she, like us, has pretty strong immune systems where we hardly ever get sick. I mean, I, I get sick at least once a year. I'll get a sinus infection, but that's more about 
living in Indiana, I think, than anything in just the change of seasons. Also, if I don't take Claritin every day, if I miss it for a day or two, like my sinuses are just crazy anyway. So uh, I think when Corona first started, I just thought I had Corona all the time because it was going from uh, winter into spring. I'm sneezy, you know, like it just, it's not that I have a bad immune system. I mean, like, think about if you're being in a bubble too, you put yourself in a bubble in six weeks, eight weeks, and then you come out of the bubble. I mean, your immune system is going to be in shock with whatever you, you come in contact with. How'd you feel after quitting cigarettes? Better? Better. Uh, I mean, I haven't smoked a cigarette in like five years. I do vape. I think vaping is like way different than smoking cigarettes. Right. I can breathe, you know, and you cough from it, just like you would cough from smoking weed. You know, just how the habit is for me where like a cigarette, you want one like immediately after you put it out. I know I've hit the vape a handful of times or more sitting here with you guys, but like I can put it away for like hours and not even think about it. It's not giving me the nicotine that like a cigarette would, but the breathing is way better. Like, not that like my lungs are completely healthy by any means, but <laughs> have you smoked cigarettes? Do you still smoke cigarettes? Oh, I do still smoke cigarettes. Are you like a pack a day smoker? Do you wake yeah. up and smoke a cigarette? No, I hate morning cigarettes. And I know hardcore smokers will love a good old morning cigarette, grab their coffee, smoke a cigarette on their porch or something like that. But I cannot. I, I wake up in the morning and I hit the coffee and I need to work into getting my cigarettes. And it's usually work that makes me have to smoke cigarettes or night or drinking or something else. So I'm like a, I'm a couple of day smoker, but there's just certain routines. It's a time of night. Oh, I guess I'll have one now. Right. So it's more about drinking probably and smoking than it is about smoking. Yes. It's more about, yes, drinking or it's nighttime and the kids are in bed and I'll just sneak out of the house because it's, you know, you walk the dog and afterwards you're the enjoyment of it because I do enjoy it still. I feel like that's uh, something that a lot of my my friends that are our age would do, you know, like they're trying. It's like they're trying to quit, but it's like basically they just they still need that like five, you know, two to five a day, you know, that Mm -hmm. one when after you put the kids to bed and you can just like take a load off at the end of the day you know Uh, stop and reflect on the day yes (laughs) that's that's where i go with that or when you're drinking because they just go hand in hand when you drink yeah and then i and then i think about stop drinking a little bit because you know i can overdo it and but then i go back to work and then it's it's like the work thing just gets me to drink or if i if i go to a restaurant it's like oh i'm in a restaurant i should have to drink you would probably have to change jobs and not work at a a bar or a restaurant if you were going to quit drinking for sure. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, the executive chef of this like Asian fusion restaurant. I wasn't drinking as I approached the job, but towards the middle of it, like it was always, you know, wine Wednesday or like drinks after work. And I was there for like 16 hours and like we shut down. So now we're all having drinks at the bar. I, I feel like being in that environment, it's just like there is a bar. It's full of alcohol. How can you not drink? so how is your dad and mom doing they're good my mom is uh she she works a lot my dad just kind of does yard work and hangs around the house a lot of the time i mean he's 
been social distancing from people for a number of years. So I would say that it's not too far from normal. They don't do church. They don't go to church. They watch church on TV Sunday mornings now, which I feel mm-hmm. like they're, they're fine with as well. But my mom is like, I went, I would probably go as, as far as saying that she's an anti-masker, you know, and she's pretty vocal about how mm-hmm. irrational she believes that it is. But yeah, like at the same time, I'm here and I live in their house. Like in the beginning, especially, I was just like, I'm going to get it and I'm going to give it to them and I'm going to kill my parents. And it's going to be, it's just irrational thought after irrational thought. Uh-huh. But I don't know, like, is it as bad as, as mainstream media makes it out to be? I don't, I don't know. I've been lucky enough not to live in a place that has had really high spikes and breakouts, you know, like people are getting it, but it's not. I don't feel as if it's so bad. I don't know. We got off subject about my parents, but yeah, they're great. You know, my. <laughs> Did you not care for my uh, Billy Joel parody, Pandemic Man, for Piano I, Man? I, I, I just don't even know how to start it. Like, uh, I mean, like, I learned it. If you want to sing over it, like, you could totally. But uh, I don't know how to sing your lyrics over it. I don't even know how oh, to yeah. sing, sing the lyrics over it. I was trying to learn like the the, the melody of the lyrics. Uh, but yours, I think it's funny. You want me to record a version of it and send it your way? I'm down. You know, if it's, I mean, <laughs> I, I do, I do see it, it being difficult because I was trying myself to uh, sing it, and I'm not that good of a singer, but. <laughs> I'm going to have a few drinks and I'll, I'll give it a whirl because I usually right. do a little better. Not, not right now. I'm not going to have a few drinks now because, I, I mean, I got shit to do. I'm an adult later right. on, but uh-huh. uh, I'll, I'll try <laughs> I'll try later on tonight or tomorrow night and, and see how that goes. Right. I, I got I got right. more verses. I got I got the entire song that I rewrote. I'll, I just, uh, yeah. I just I gave you a little just give you a little taste of the first verse. Uh, well, I'm down to to figure it out. I mean, it's I think it's on like the same chord progression loop. So like all I'd have to do is play it once and then loop it for like four or five minutes or something, as long as you would have lyrics for it. Okay. And the harmonica sound, if you get something that'll make that harmonica noise, cause that's, that's pretty I can, key. I feel like I can figure something out. It's in the key of C. I don't, I know I own a mic. Uh, I know I, I've owned a harmonica before, but I don't know where it's at currently or if it's still within my possession oh, but i'm okay. sure but i'm sure there's got to be something on my on my logic program that has a harmonica sound <laughs> there's maybe a saxophone maybe instead of the harmonica like there'll be like it's a hornish kind of sound i don't know your grandfather gave me a harmonica when he told me that uh, if i don't fix my act up i'm gonna end up in prison and then i gotta learn how to play the harmonica <laughs> so, uh, yeah who told you Good, that uh, life lesson. grandpa jack <laughs> Papa yeah, Jack? it was like uh, your grandpa Jack. Uncle Jack was uh, <laughs> all about that. That's a that's a. How old were you when you did that? I think it was nine. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. that's a that's a pretty heavy load to lay on a nine year old. <laughs> you know, go- <laughs> I mean, nine year olds like man, I got to get good at playing the harmonica so that when I go to prison, I'll be able to actually you know bust out some melodies like Billy Joel. Not for Papa Jack. I feel like when I was nine years old, he was already telling me how Uncle Larry was uh, a man of the ladies. <laughs> yeah. 
It's funny. I mean, I moved away when I was nine. So my my experience with the with with uh, my grandfather is few, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess it was like eight or nine or something when I moved away. I remember hanging out with him when I was 22 for his 50th and uh, him pulling out the photo album and stuff. And just it's weird to not be around family growing up, but see pictures and, and just have the 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 family resemblance in a way, you know, not just visually, but like attitude wise and, and some mental things. And I don't know, uh-huh. like the the Ribidos and the the Moors and the, the Tillman side is I don't know. We're all characters. Yeah. Papa was such a character. I'm thinking the math again. You said you saw him when you were twenty two for his what was it, eightieth, seventieth? No, it's their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Oh that fiftieth. Okay, the fiftieth wedding anniversary. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I think it was maybe I was older than that maybe it was I think I was 22 no that math would be right that was a great brunch too I'm not sure I think both of you were there for the brunch we went out you guys were all there no mm-hmm. yeah I, we were uh, I at the time. It, I wasn't, a bunch of... it wasn't your grandma's big bad 65 but yeah I remember it uh, <laughs> uh, was that the huge beer day no that was like her 50th one <laughs> I mean, my mom goes out there for all these things, but like, I don't know. I just never was a part of it. I I definitely, in, the last time I went out, you know, Hank and Larry called my mom and said that, you know, she was, Nana wasn't doing well. So uh, it was like literally two days later, my mom and I got into a car and drove. Uh, and it took us like just over 48 hours of driving to, to get from Lafayette to Chico. And uh, I mean, this was in 2017, so... She's she's still kicking it too. Like she's uh, she's like eighty eight or eighty nine now. It's crazy. She talks to uh, my papa every day. She my mom calls her like two three times a day. Like uh, yeah, she that's pretty good. Remind me of who your father is again. It's not Doug. It's, Our dad is Doug. Doug. Yeah. Because yeah. Okay. And then I, uh, Doug are and not. Doug and Bruce were brothers. Yes. C- correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. So they were then, cousins with 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 Nana. That would correct. be yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. They our grandmother first is cousins. the sister of your grandmother. Yeah. So we are first cousins or second cousins. We are second cousins. Fifth or yes. whatever. Where Jake and Jared yeah. are my first cousins. Yeah. Yes. Jake and Jared are your first cousins. Natalie. Natalie. And and then Lauren. Right. Yeah, we don't see Lauren very often either. So, but which, yeah, it's um, which our family calls second and third cousins, uncle and aunt and auntie or uncle, even though like Hank is our cousin. Or I'm not a big fan of math, is what Neil's saying. <laughs> and so uh, the best way to put it is, if they're older than you, they're aunts and uncles. If they're the same age as you, they're cousins, and if they're younger than you, they're nephews and nieces. Right. That about sums it up. So, and then don't even bother with the numbers because we, we don't even understand how the numbers work. It's like, oh, you know what? I, who's, you know, ask Chad. He'll tell you how you're related. You know, which family member goes to which family member kind of thing. So that's how yeah. I used to do with, you know, Chloe we used to do that all the time. It's so crazy to, to, to not meet someone for a very long time. But like my mom, I mean, she tells great stories. And since she has such a strong rapport with, 
all of her family, you know, like she tells these stories great, you know. Uh, so the vividness of people from from her perspective uh, is what I kind of see most of you as. So, uh, I mean, like Papa is just a legend. Like there's so many stories and so so is Hank and Larry, you know, from the times they played football and being in high school and, and my mom and Hank lived together, I guess, for a couple of years after high school and like trashed the house. I think it was like a... <laughs> Uh, you know, like there's uh, there's little things that uh, I've been able to, I guess, capture in a way from from the family. But like, it it really does suck that I've I've lived in, you know, two thousand or three thousand miles away for most of uh, my life. Yeah, but Uncle Jack was Uncle Jack was a tough guy. He was he wasn't not he wasn't nice to your dad very much when he was first dating your mom. And so that was that kind of might have caused some problems overall, it's, which is really weird because he's because your dad is actually from San Diego. He's that you know we're all from the same area anyways. So that's you know that might have caused some. I mean later on in life, of course, he was your dad came and your grandfather came around. And he was a lot more accepting of your dad because of course they stay married. They're still married forever. But the you know but that was that was cause a lot of friction within within your family anyways plus your dad ended up getting a job in other places and he just you know traveled off we've always uh we've always commented about how great how much of an artist your father is when it comes to glass blowing and stuff and also your dad is like one of the nicest guys you know every all of us always say that you know your dad your dad is a real sweetheart he's great your mom is like you know he's always been endeared in our hearts you know we've always you know we've always liked the you know cared a lot about you and uh, julie as well and even Jeannie. so and uh yeah i mean i remember coming back i don't know if i you know some deployment or someplace like that came back and up here it was like oh yeah and monica uncle john and, and you know alex and julie are there and i was like great roll through and then jason showed up and jason was there too and i was like going i don't remember who jason is I don't want to say anything, but I don't remember who this guy is. And my memory of family is really good. <laughs> so I just chatted for a bit, chatted for a bit. And I'm like, oh, okay, got it. That's right. Jason was from, uh, you know, is your, is your dad's son from a previous relationship from a while ago. So I was like, okay, that's great. All right, good stuff. You know, he's not, you know, he's, you know, from a different, from a different mom than even than Jeannie's was. I'll tell you one funny, I'll tell you one funny uh, memory I have was Alex you were in a band Alex you were in a band and you were playing out here in North County in uh, Escondido and then your nana and my nana go to this uh nightclub at whatever time whatever time your guys set was like say nine o'clock ten o'clock at night and we're all and I think Uncle Larry was in town and Jake was there and then we're going of course because we hear you're gonna play so We'll be there. But it's just hilarious that both of our nanas go into this nightclub where music is <laughs> blasting to watch you play. It was actually dancing. It was incredible to see it. And I wish that I could I had a copy of the picture because after that show, you guys all bought CDs, you guys all bought t shirts or and, and whatever, like everyone's wearing a t shirt and I'm standing in front of you know, the, the family. I, I want that photo so bad. I know it exists somewhere. And I like, I don't know if it's like in an email or somewhere, but like, I got to find it. Yes. Thank you guys for coming out. That was awesome. To see it's, her good point. it's the, uh, the green room rockers is the band you're talking about. Neil. And That's I correct. still have the t-shirt. 
fact, I wore it a couple of days ago. And I wore the Green Room Rockers t-shirt for an interview one time I had. <laughs> so that got posted up there. So I'm still pushing it, although I don't know if the if the band broke up. <laughs> they're, still, they're still there. Um, they they have gone through about a dozen bass players in the last eight years. But when I turned 30, I, I just it was a make or break thing for me where like I needed to start doing it full time or I needed to start doing something else full time because mm-hmm. uh I was working crazy hours at like minimum wage jobs so I can like bank myself on the road and go on these tours where like I was starting to make money, but it wasn't a living. So I became a chef. I, I went to college for at a community college for a year. And then I got offered a sous chef position at a sorority and uh, I took it. And within two years, I got my own account and uh, I don't know, like, the executive chef life or whatever at a fraternity versus a restaurant is crazy. But like in the last seven years or whatever, like I've just keep, I don't know. There's a building stone to it. Like I had to do something. I love music. I still play music every day, but like if I wasn't going to be on the road for a year, we had good record labels looking at us and like, Hey, we see that you're doing this and you're playing with these bands. But like, if you really want to make it, you have to go on the road for a year, you know, like you really have to go out there and, and play like 250 shows in a year. Uh, You got to start marketing with newer people and this and that. And they were all graduating from Purdue and they were getting like 50 to a hundred thousand dollar a year jobs you know, they weren't going to quit their jobs. Some of them got kids and are married now, but they, they still play. They haven't released a new record. Their new bass player still plays all my bass lines. So, <laughs> I mean, he's better than I am. They're like tighter bass lines, but like he listened to the album and he played what I wrote. So I would love to do that again, but being on the road is, is hard, you know, a lot of the times. And I see how that is there. I mean, being comfortable in your own setting is like awesome. Like I love the fact that I have like a lot of studio gear and some nice mics and good guitars that I can play around with and like write songs, you know, on my own. Oh, if you're, if you're going to finish your thought, go ahead. But I was just going to say, I'll work with the guy. I mean, at 30, I just knew I wasn't going to be the Beatles or fallout boy. There was no, like, you're going to be like this huge rock star at, at most. Like it would be, I thought it would be nice to be like, if I can make 40, $50,000 a year being a musician, I would love it. You know, but like the guys got college degrees and we're making twice that and we're going to get, you know, to to make nothing on the road. So I got it. Right. You know, I work with a guy who was in a band and he was on tour and he likes to tell me a lot of his tour stories and they're really good stories. They're always, always good stories, but it was something in which his wife would come with them. And I think he was dating his wife at the time, or maybe, maybe they're even married, but he would tour through Europe. He would tour around the country and he would just meet up with different uh, people, just, just different people on different walks of life. And I could see the enjoyment of it. And then I also see where you're coming from of when you turn 30, you're like, well, I got to turn the, I got to turn the next chapter. And so I applaud you for doing that. Your food porn on the Facebook looks cool. Hey, thanks, man. Looks like you're a pretty decent chef. And so you, you're a good bass player. You enjoy music and you can still enjoy music. And now you could do your art and food. Yeah. I, see I, I mean, my dad, I think, was the one that gave me that kind of uh, direction because he was a glass blower. Even though he worked for a university, 
as a scientific glass blower, it's still art, you know, like it's still artistic. And he made a great living being an artist. And I just always felt like I could do the same, you know, like I don't, I've never worked at a factory. I mean, like I, I've done some construction gigs before, you know, but like manual labor that's intense on the daily. Like I, you know, like I've never had to endure stuff like that. I do like to work with my hands, but yeah, it's like, I'm glad that I can have a job that's artistic, you know? Are you, you're a bartender, right? Is that, Correct. Is that, that's, that's your profession. There, that is an art within itself. I'm sure you work at a place that's not just like a, you call it shot in, in Bud Light bar, you know? Like, I'm sure that you, I mean, it's not, I don't, do you, would you consider yourself like a mixologist or like, or are you just a bartender? Oh, definitely not. And I bartend and serve. And serving is nice because there's these uh, bottles of wine that you open. And the bottles of wine at the place I work at are pretty pricey. And so you serve tables and they get bottles of wine and say over a $100 bottle of wine. And most of the people have money and they usually tip on that bottle of wine. So, I mean, way better uh, selling a hundred dollar bottle of wine and sell than making 10 drinks at $10 a piece to right. make the same amount of money. It's an easy serving job. It helps when you are a grizzly veteran at serving. And so I work with a lot of other old people who don't make me feel so old for still working in the restaurant. Right. If that makes, if that makes sense. Cause I feel like I should be going and doing something else now. I enjoy, I enjoy it. And it's, it's easy money, but at the same time, uh, I'm at that I'm at that crossroads too of like and being in the quarantine's kind of got me thinking of other things too. What do you think you want to do? I think I might finish school and get into teaching. Seeing seeing how the teachers using it is so strong makes me think, hey, this teaching thing sounds like a good idea. Plus you can do it online. Right. Plus That's now true. I don't even have to go to school. I have some friends that have like English majors from Purdue and like they teach like Asian kids at like five o'clock in the morning English. Cause it's like whatever, you know, afternoon time in their, in their direction. So like just a video conference call where like they're, they speak English fluently and they have a mass or whatever, a degree in it. So like they're able to teach these kids. Some of them do a couple classes or whatever, where it's like five to like eight in the morning. There's a market for that. But I mean like anything on YouTube, like there's the how to movement of going on where it's almost free access. I don't know how you'd be able to charge unless you work for an organization or a union of some kind. And I don't know how that works in, in California compared to Indiana. What do you want to teach? The things I'd be good at would be English and history. English because uh, that's my spoken language. But, al <laughs> but also because I, I enjoy writing as well. And so uh, what would I like to be doing? Well, I like to be writing and coming up with creative things. But then, you know, those who can't do teach. And teach. so I, I figure maybe I'll start teaching and maybe that'll inspire me as well to, to continue do my writing. Wanna, what age do you want to teach, though? Do you want like high school kids, middle school kids, you know, or college kids? I don't want to teach college kids. Uh, some of them are incredibly smart and I don't want to look incredibly dumb. <laughs> and so I like to go a little bit younger so I can look a little bit smarter. Because how much do you really have to know to teach a fifth grader? I used to watch that show. It was hosted by a redneck. And I think I am smarter than a fifth grader. And I think I could probably teach like somewhere between fifth and seventh grade. 
maybe maybe as high as eighth grade. So what? So sure. fifth fifth grade to like middle school area. Because I, I don't yeah. even know if I want to get into high school. If I got into high school, high school would be okay too. But high school would be if I want to coach or also do like theater courses, which I can see doing as well. I see a, that too. Being a theater coach director. Did you do a lot of? Have you done acting before? Have you like? In, did you do plays and stuff when you were in school? I did plays and stuff in community college in high oh, school. Okay. And so I thought it'd be cool and play high school football. Okay. And I was right. I was cool. I just joined bands to do that. I didn't need to play sports. <laughs> yeah, those guys, those guys seem to have it too. Neil co-starred with Don Cheadle in a movie. That was Nicholas. And it was uh, extra work for oh. the movie Traffic. And they were filming the movie Traffic in San Diego. Nick was an extra. Oh, really? Crazy. Was it like planned out or was he just happened to be there some happenstance of founding a gig and going to the gig and just basically like the way extra work is they just see your picture you get like a headshot or whatever and they said all right yeah bring him on down and so his his job was to uh walk down the street look like he's walking down the street with another woman like you know a normal guy in san diego like, right. he was a method actor, and so he really had to build up his uh, walking. I think he built up his character. He was really thinking, where is this guy walking to? What does he do for a job? I think uh, I think he was, he was on the impression he was a banker. He was going to his bank. He was also thinking about his loan that he was going to sell because there, there was a big loan that was going to go out to another major corporation, and it was going to make a lot of money for his bank. And he had a lot going on in his mind. When you watch the movie, you pause it. And when you pause it at the exact moment where he's at, you blow it up. And then you have to Photoshop his face in there because it's still incredibly blurry. <laughs> but the amount of work that goes into that extra role was, I was impressed. That's awesome. I didn't know he yeah. did that. That's not a story that I'd, I'd ever heard before. I didn't know that you were into acting either. Uh, I just thought the entire family was into military, politics, and football. That was mm. That's all the conversations that I could really remember uh, everyone talking about. So, and Pretty Chad, much. of I mean, course, per- is the military guy. Any, who, anyone else joined the military besides you, Chad? Oh, Both okay. of Nick and Chase. Nick and Chase uh, were Marines. Ch- Chase. So. Oh, Nick was in the Marines. I, I guess yeah. I forgot about that. Why don't you go in, Neil? <laughs> mm, no, it's just, it's just not my thing, I guess. I don't know. Chad, did you enlist like right at eighteen? Did you enlist it? Yeah, I enlisted right after right out of high school. Chase yeah. is is Chase still in military? I know he was in North mm-hmm. or Virginia, I think, a couple of years ago, but he's now back into California. Is he still enlisted? Mm-hmm. No, he's not. He got out. He got oh. out some, uh, some time ago. He's now working for as a uh, forecaster in a, on a base, an Air Force base off in uh, I think Riverside County. So he's doing he's doing um, weather stuff, the same stuff he did when he was in the Marines. But he's like private contracting for the Air Force. Is that how that works? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. He works for a company. That works for the Air Force, and that's what he's doing. So, so and, and you're still in. So you got over 20 years. I have over 22, and already retired. So when I was over in Afghanistan for three years, which is beyond usually what the deployments are, I was I was actually a a um, contract. Yeah, I've had some friends go over there, but it's usually no more than a year's time. Like a tour is supposed to be like nine or ten months, and then yeah, it's about six or nine months usually. I lived with Chad uh, approximately 15 years ago. I was kind of bouncing around jobs and bouncing around different things. And then Chad let me stay in his spare bedroom. This is before he had kids and before, of course, I was married or had kids. And Uh at that time, uh, I started working and I think and then uh, I got the idea of going into the Coast Guard. 
So I was like, maybe I should join the military. You know, nothing. I seem to be working every single job I could work out here and nothing's really hidden. So maybe I should go in the military. And I don't really want to go into Marines because I don't, I don't really want to think about killing so much. And I don't, I don't really like the uh, idea of going to the Navy because I don't want to be on a boat for long periods of times and army i felt like i was a little bit had too many brain cells for the army and i wasn't attractive enough to go into the air force and so that left me with just the coast guard and i'm like the coast guard at least i'll be by the coast and i'll just be busting the drug runners and other people like that and helping people something else is going to happen in life and it wasn't going to be the coast guard yeah my niece she's she'll be 18 in january she just joined and signed up for the reserves and uh she leaves to go to boot camp in march but she has like this every other weekend thing where she has drill and has to be there at like six o'clock in the morning goes for like 12 hours both saturday and sunday and it's 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 just funny to me that she joined. I can't, I just can't imagine her being in the military, but she wants to pay for college. So that's, that's her, her plan, you know? You got daughter? No, this is uh, Julie's daughter. Okay, Julie. Julie has she, two boys and a girl. That's right. Her youngest will turn 18 in January. So, yeah, Lawrence just turned 21 and Anthony is 19. So, yeah, Jeannie's kids, uh, Danielle, she is. she was born in 96, so she's like 24 now. Yeah, Jordan, I think, yeah, he turned 21 in May. And I don't have any kids. Ah, like, I think it's nice. uh, the males in, in the, the Moore family just decided not to, <laughs> I guess. So, uh, yeah, like Jake and Jared. I don't think Jared's ever going to have kids or Jake for that matter. But I don't know. I don't. How many kids? You got two kids, Neil? Chad, you have three kids? I have yeah, two I kids. Got three. Yeah, I have uh, <laughs> three kids. It's, uh, my oldest is John. He's 10. And then my... Uh, my daughter is just turned nine, uh, Elise. And then uh, the youngest is Alex, and he's four. So Nice. So John, John was named after your uncle and your grandpa, Jack, and uh, your dad and uh, John Battisti. And then Alex is after you and uh, Alex Battisti. Did you ever meet Alex? Oh, yeah. Who is Alex Battisti? Alex Battisti, uh, he, had, he was uh, John Battisti's uh, youngest. Because John had uh, two, he had Tamara and Joseph from his first marriage, and his second marriage was Liz and Alex. And so, um, yeah, Alex got cancer uh, that kind of spread throughout his body, and he died when he was eighteen. But I remember him as a small, as a, as a little kid coming over to my grandparents' house. Uh, thanks, Alex. It was great talking to you, and uh, I'd love to do this again, Chad. It's a pleasure. Love to as well. Awesome. But I just want to say thanks, guys, for doing this with me. This is uh, pretty sweet. It's fun catching up. Maybe next time we'll talk about politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you again, Alex. It's nine o'clock on March 15th. A regular crowd shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me, coughing with his COVID-19. He says, son, can you give me a quarantine? I'm not sure how it works, but it's sweet and it 
with Gary, whose clothes in the white area, and probably will be for life. And the Democrats are practicing theoronomics, and Republicans ignore our homes. Yes, they're sharing a drink called controlling us. But it's better for the Sing us the song, you're the pandemic song. Sing us the song tonight. Well, we're all in our home for the quarantine, and most of us are feeling alright. It's a pretty good crowd for a Trump rally, and the president gives me a smile. Cause he knows that it's me they've been feeling to see To forget about his lies for a while And with the face, it sounds like a carnival And the people do it And they sit at our home and turn on their clothes Say, Dad, what are you doing here? Sing us the song with a pandemic past. Sing us the song of the past. Yes, we're all in the home for the 
Thank you, Alex. Peace.